What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome into your Tuesday, December 13th episode of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are proudly presented by this episode specifically by the FanDuel Sportsbook, where you can use that OBR promo code and get $100 in free bets with just about two and a half weeks left to make sure you get in on that action before the turn of the, the, turn of the year. And obviously, that's when FanDuel will launch their betting in the state of Ohio. So take advantage of that. We should have some NFL to bet on at that time, too. We'll see where the Browns sit at that point. We're going to talk about the Browns' uh, defeat, 23-10 to Cincinnati, down in uh, Cincinnati. We're going to break down everything from that, from what I've gathered, film I have watched. Before we do that, I really want to talk about something that came up on social today. Uh, you know, I, I noticed it today, and it's come up a lot. You know, now that the Browns have lost this game, they've they've obviously dropped some others throughout the year. People have been disappointed about. It seems like those who have wanted Kevin Stefanski gone have been sort of waiting for the Deshaun Watson arrival, and then a, a loss or two with Deshaun Watson to justify some of their feelings from earlier in the year. Um, I'm really not going to jump to defend Kevin all the time. I think I'm I'm pretty pro Kevin Stefanski you guys know this from listening to this pod I I understand that there are people with a completely different opinion of him and his team's performance and really his personality it it might not jive with how you prefer your football coach to talk and I'm not here to tell people you guys whether you're right or wrong on that but what irks me a little bit is when on social you know we're all kind of gathering on Monday Tuesday Wednesday to go through what happened in the game And what I usually have to do, I feel inclined to do, maybe I shouldn't, but I do, is to point out when people say things that are just really wrong. And and I don't mean to pick on anybody, and I'm not going to name names. You can go check out my uh, Twitter account and see who people who I've interacted with. But the thing that is, is driving me nuts is there are plenty of reasons, I think justifiable, to want to move on from Kevin Stefanski, right? Again, the way his team responds to adversity, you could pinpoint. You could pinpoint some undisciplined stuff. You could pinpoint maybe the personality isn't motivating players the way you think it needs to. That's totally fine, right? You can look at the results, dropped games, some things from this year, and talk about Kevin being gone, and I think you're okay. I don't have a problem with that. That's just differing opinions. But when things are said that just really aren't true, I feel inclined to correct people one way or the other and I'm not trying to do it to be mean but I'm trying to do it to make sure that the thousands and thousands of people that some of us have the ability to feed information to 
are not given the incorrect information, such as what players are on the field, the schemes that are being run, and adaptation. Again, I don't, I'm not going to go and argue with anybody who thinks Kevin should be fired from a I know I'm right and I know you're wrong standpoint, as long as you speak facts about the elements of your argument, okay? And, and that's all I'm asking. I'm, people aren't asking me anything, but that's what I'm looking for. And sometimes when I respond to people, it's, it's because I just want to make sure that the masses who are making their decision on this one way or the other, there's plenty of people on the Keep Kevin train, plenty of people in the train going the opposite direction, I just want to make sure that everything is sort of clear. So I've tried to do that. I hope I've done that to you folks who listen here. Like I said, Kevin is not above uh, fault here. I don't think he's been creative enough in the run game the past three years as seasons have worn on to counter fatigue, offensive line redundancy, and really schematic redundancy that has hurt them over the course of three years. And we're in the middle of a serious Browns run game regression since the bye week that is more than alarming. It's costing their offense the, the better performances that we expect them to have. It's costing them. And I, I like I said, there will be some things after the season where I will sit down, reflect on Stefanski, and try to figure out uh, how they get better. But I do think he has done a nice job of adapting this offense for Deshaun Watson. So I'm not going to sit here and believe that he's not taken the best things about Deshaun's best seasons in Houston and started to mesh them into things he has done. And I still firmly remain in the stance of I understand there are elements, defense, specials, uh, plenty of other things he's responsible for, not just offense. But I do think when the Browns went to get Watson and, and accepted all of the luggage that comes with that, it was, as more news comes out about it, driven by Kevin, Andrew, and Jimmy all together. And I do think there's an agreement here that Kevin would get a full year to work with him. So while I understand you're tired of what's happened this year. You want Watson to come in and them to win games right away. I don't think the outcome of these last four games is going to totally change that. I do think they want to see him off-season relationship, all of that that goes into a new season, and see what comes of it on offense if it's something special, because I do think it could be. Now, again, that doesn't mean you don't fix the defense, which I think has critical faults as well as special teams that I would love to see get better. So um, I'm not sitting here saying that offense is going to solve all the woes, and I understand that a, a head coach's job, it dances outside the clear, defined lines of offense, defense, and specials. He has to meddle in everything. But uh, I do think Kevin is going to get another year, and uh, I think that's the right decision. If they fire him, I don't know. We'll see. It would just really irk me to yank the carpet out from him after all of the stuff that they've gone through here. But again, uh, you know, fickle decision makers can do that stuff. But I, I just have this feeling they're going to give this a bit more consideration of time. So um, that's just something I wanted to talk about. Listen, I thought Watson, we'll dive into the offense. Um, you know, actually, we'll take a quick break. Come back from the break, and then we'll dive in, talk about Deshaun and, and the rest of the offense. We will, we will be right back. Hey, guys, telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now, again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR 
Very simple. Just OBR. Get that sign-up bonus, right? Get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. Safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. you to be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so in this one offensively, they don't – I don't think anybody's overly impressed, right? It wasn't a fantastic – I mean, it wasn't even – I think you could call it average. It left some points on the board. They did some things well in the passing game. The, the run game was really, really hard to watch. I posted some clips. I, I think I'm, I'm giving them too much credit. Collectively, it was really not a very good game on offense. They went for uh, 18 first downs on 70 plays. 344 yards, a not very pretty four for 15 on third downs. They only ran for 71 net rushing, 33 of which came from the quarterback. We'll talk more about that. And then 273 net passing yards. They end up having one turnover, the interception, four punts, a touchdown, a field goal, and control the football for 31 minutes to, to Cincinnati's 28. So listen, I think collectively steps in the wrong direction. Quarterback better. And you can start to see some of the things that Watson can do uh, for the Browns uh, offense. I, I think that was on display in this one in large portions. So data from the game, and then we'll spill through some of the stats, and I'll talk about uh, portions of it that stood out. So six plays out of pistol. That's, a, that's an uptick, right? They had Kareem and Nick in the backfield doing some different things out of pistol. Not that it yielded a bunch of positivity, but again, that's stuff Deshaun is used to. They're trying to be a bit more creative with those two guys. They did run 11 read options, which is a consistent number now, right about a little more than last week, but they want to continue to include taking away the backside uh, cut, you know, pursuit player and have him honor quarterback pull on some of those Deshaun pulled a few of those not all too many I think Cincinnati honed in on him on those but he did take advantage of a couple opportunities but again we're talking about really rough run game from the running back 16 total yards on those 11 read option plays only two RPOs I think the second RPO is a little iffy whether it was included orbit motion but they did run one time that read flat wheel that we saw seven times Last week alone, we'll see if they uptick that or continue to put in variations 
but those are specific adaptability to Deshaun types of things I wanted to point out. 51 plays of 11 personnel, that continues to uptick much higher than last year, driven by a lack of a really trustworthy third tight end. 7 plays of 12 personnel, 1 play of 22 personnel, 8 plays of 21, so you're talking about those pistol plays and a couple others, Uh, and then 2 snaps of 20 personnel, that's 2 backs, 3 receivers, and then a couple snaps on that last 4th uh, fourth quarter down at the goal line snaps of uh, 0-2 personnel, which is two tight ends, three wide receivers, no running backs. Obviously running empty and trying to throw it uh, to Donovan Peoples-Jones on that fourth down, but there were plays before that they ran it out of too. So the Bengals in this one, as I said, they held Nick Chubb to 14 carries, 34 yards. The stuff for Nick Chubb post by, and this run game in, in, in total, but the stuff for Nick Chubb is pretty alarming. Like when I look at statistics across under center runs, I posted today how much effect, more effective Nick has been from the gun, which is jarring since the bye. But since the bye week under center, he's had 47 carries, 3.15 yards per carry after nearly averaging five yards per carry before the bye week. His negative .34 rush EPA is only better than Damian Pierce, who struggled, the rookie who has struggled since week 10. And uh, also kind of hovers in line with um, Jamal Williams. But but Nick's negative .34 is about as bad as you will see in the league for that five-week stretch. It is really rough. They are not doing very well on the front side or back side. You know, you like to get vertical push on the back side to create run lanes. They are not doing any vertical push back side. And it's leaving them to, to have a lot, a lot of issues. And Cincinnati did some five down front to mess with that stuff under center. And then obviously they did their traditional four down stuff, but they weren't afraid to play nickel. I mean, they only played four snaps of base. They had no fear of taking away run game with Mike Hilton in there in the slot. So they used 55 snaps of nickel and even threw in 10 snaps of dime where they were throwing on some of their others like Dax Hill to create some uh, different situations with more DBs. I think obviously I don't have to say it, but Cincinnati was the more physical team at the point of attack. It has been like that since the bye week where no matter, and again, this isn't a Yodi Froholt issue. This is a collective across the board lack of physicality issue that continues to pop up where teams are moving the line of scrimmage on the wrong side of the line of scrimmage. I don't know what happened. I don't know if the group is beat up physically I really guys I don't have an answer for this but they're playing with a passive approach out physical out strength uh, at the point of attack and um, it's it's producing the results you're seeing if you're playing on the wrong side of the line of scrimmage in the run game that means initial contact no matter how great that is your initial contact in terms of the uh, the scheme is going to have how great your running back is that initial contact happening at or behind the line of scrimmage is only going to produce typically one, two, three-yard gains, right? On the flip side of that, if you're able to work down the line and, and pass the line of scrimmage, first contact happens one, two, three yards downfield, that's when you get the four, five, six, seven, and beyond type of runs. It's pretty jarring when you go look at teams that are getting positive run game traction, like the 49ers. This is a, this is a stat that I find to be extremely fascinating is how well the 49ers have done compared to the Browns since the bye in terms of creating explosive runs, but also not putting themselves in a burden to do so. So here's some stuff that stands out to me as I I kind of scoured through true media. So the Browns rank fourth in explosive run percentage this year, but it's, it's really the negative run issue that has popped up for them. So the Browns have 36 explosive runs this year on 345 attempts. 
They've done that with a 26.4 avoided tackle percentage. So that tells you how the running backs are taking schemes that maybe aren't going to yield the best results, but providing more yardage. Here's an example of the 49ers who just have three less explosive rushes at 33 on 283 carries as opposed to 345. And they've done that with a 14.5 avoided tackle percentage. So that tells you how much more effective their uh, schematic choices have been, how much more effective their uh, you know uh, line of scrimmage domination has been, and tell me which team creates more space. Now, there's others I could use as an example, and really Shanahan and his system, how he operates, what he does week to week. He's one of one. He's creating coaches across the league, but that just gives you an example of how tight, condensed everything is for the Browns and how this is the flip side of things for some other franchises right now that are able to create some push at the line of scrimmage. So uh, just noteworthy sort of piece of information there. Other things that stood out to me in this one, uh, outside zone, six carries for 20 yards. It was bad. The Bengals were folding the front side to the back side and giving no cutback lanes or bounce opportunities. Uh, really, really rough stuff there. Uh, power, uh, power and counter. They ran five of those concepts, which have been staples for them for so long for just eight yards. And then pin pull, which has been their best shotgun run where Nick has been far superior posted this stat on Twitter, far superior in the pin pull game from shotgun than he has been from under center. He only ran that two times for negative one yards in this game. So, uh, really rough all around. I think the data is ugly. Six total rushing yards in the second half, and I know they played a large portion of that in catch-up mode, uh, but you don't have to you know, stretch or squint all too hard to be able to figure out what the issue is. This team is is good. I think the Browns have a good football team, but as they ease Watson back into this whole thing, I don't think it's crazy for you to understand that the run game still has to be an important part of what they do, and they have to still be, at the bare minimum, respectable with it. They cannot be a net negative run team because they're still not predicated to throw it around the yard. you got to beat up Amari Cooper. you got Donovan Peoples-Jones trying his best and playing well, but you got a rookie in uh, David Bell. You're trying to get more out of other guys like Michael Woods, but they're not built to be pass-heavy. They will maybe get there. But they're not there right now. They're built to be able to run it. And if they can't run it or base some of the success of their pass game off of that run, that's when you get the predicament that they're in, where they cannot seem to solve drives, even though, again, the quarterback play saw an uptick. So we're going to talk through some statistics offensively. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones plays every charted snap along with all of your offensive line. Watson comes off for the one. And listen, that fourth and one play, Again, to me, it's it's a it's a home run swing from Stefanski. If it works out, you're a hero. It's a great call. Can't believe they called Jacoby Brissett play action on his birthday, uh, right there on fourth and one to kind of counterbal- counterbalance that. Uh, typically, what they like to do is run quarterback sneak. Right? They 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 get creative. Last week they ran a little jet handoff. This week they run the look of a, a quarterback sneak, but run play action off of it. You could be on the side of never take Watson off the field. Why would you do that? Why would you put a backup quarterback in? Uh, and, and he's ice cold off the bench, expect him to throw a 30-yard uh, touchdown strike. It was open. It wasn't wide open. It was open, but it, t- it would have taken a perfect throw. It didn't happen. I was not a big fan of it, but I also understand that with big risk, uh, you know, with you know, bigger situations, sometimes you do take big risks, and some it seems like more often than not, unfortunately, they're just a step or two off on those, and, and they're really ending up landing in Kevin's face, which is which is a bit unfortunate right now because I like that he's being aggressive in those, but ultimately 
not panning out and that's why people are upset results-based stuff i totally get and i think that that was a big risk and a big moment when you probably could have just used some early points to get your guys feeling good but then again trusting a rookie kicker from from 45 yards has not been a money decision either but anyway back to the topic at hand and joku 69 snaps so he's uh he played a lot coming off of missing last week cooper played 62 his pitch count was pretty dang high as you can see david bell played 49 chubb 45 kareem hunt 28 and Michael Woods, uh, 15. So not, uh, listen, the, the offensive grades, you didn't have a guy grade over 65. At the top of the scale, Conklin, David Njoku, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Jedrick Wills, and um, James Hudson was on the field for one play. Those are your guys above 60. But everybody kind of hovered around average. Yodi Froholt was the only guy below 50 at a 43.7. Looking at passing grades for Watson, 26 of 42, 276, a touchdown interception, 53.6 passing grade. He ran uh, relatively successfully, 6 for 33. He had one big-time throw, uh, which obviously came with the defender hanging on his leg. I put that up on the Twitter timeline. Hits a dig at about 20 yards. a great throw. It's an unbelievable throw to be able to make, uh, and he, he drilled it in there. But the next play, unfortunately, also broke that down with some audio. If you're interested in that, uh, go check that out. Two turnover-worthy plays, one of which is clearly the interception. I believe they gave him another turnover-worthy play, on a late throw in the fourth quarter, he threw a speed out to the slot, and uh, it was jumped uh, jumped by a linebacker. Uh, Jermaine Pratt jumped it, but he didn't end up intercepting it, I think. I'm not totally sure on that, but based on how they graded it in the situation, I think they gave him that one. Four drops, which doesn't help. Two batted throws, right? Um, you know, so the, the, that accounts for a couple of them. He, uh, two sacks. Uh, I would say one of the sacks was on him. Another one, I'm not totally sure i could see it going both ways there was a third and 13 he had a guy on a shallow drag when since he brought seven he never even saw the shallow drag which would have been a huge gain he never saw it that was a crippling one on a third and 13 they could have converted but again better overall better when he was kept clean 22 of 32 201 a touchdown really effective under pressure four of 10 75 yards uh the one interception where he just was late getting back to the deep over route Again, that's like a two-and-a-half-minute video. Go check that out if you want to see the intricacies of it. When he wasn't blitzed, he was 24 of 39, uh, 250 with the one interception. When he was blitzed, he was 2 for 3, 26 yards of touchdown. So he was not blitzed. Since he drops 8 more than anybody in the league, they want to get you to third down, drop 8, clog passing lanes, and make your quarterback frazzled sitting back there trying to remain comfortable. And they did a really good job of being bull rushers and adjusters off their rush for when Watson stepped up to escape. Something I wish the Browns would do more of, but they don't, is being kind of upfield into the chest of a, of a tackle, but being able to adjust quickly and drive back upfield to make a play on a quarterback trying to escape the pocket. So they deserve credit for that. Play action, Watson was 7 for 9, 100 yards, a touchdown in the interception. No play action, 19 of 33. And all of these grades kind of hovered in the 50s. Literally every single grade hovered in the 50s of the last four categories, a 53.6 total. He threw three of five screens for 17 yards and then 23 of 37, 259, uh, and a touchdown when he didn't in the interception, too, on non-screens. One of four on completions of deep throws. He had that one interception on that deep throw, 21 total yards. Some shot plays, some opportunities I thought he missed. Just a couple of them. Talked about it uh, on the timeline. We'll talk about it on Chalk Talk. Just some plays he missed. He grades the worst 
and deep passing. We'll see that hopefully get better. Again, more exposure. He is right now very much a see it open to throw at quarterback. Like that's what he is right now because he's he's getting himself back in. The anticipation is not great. Does it get better? I do think it does get better as you get more live bullets thrown at you. You get comfortable with pressure. You get comfortable with the schemes you guys are calling, your wide receiver timing. It will get better. He's shown that throughout his career. Right now, though, as the game is moving quick, everything's on top of him. He's working himself back in. It is very much for him right now, see it to throw it. And that means that there will at times be mistakes or there will at times be uh, mistakes made in processing, not seeing something. I hope to see that get better. I did think there was great progression from last week to this week, and we'll hopefully, again, continue to see that get better over the last four weeks. Receiving grades, Peoples-Jones, 64.7. His second time in the NFL, he's gone up over 100 yards. He had uh, eight catches on 13 targets, 114 yards. He had to catch that fade, though. They gave him a drop, and I think that's fair. He didn't catch that fade that he needed to haul in. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, hit him in the chest. Should have got it. Went up and, and made a play on it, but has to reel it in. Second highest receiving grade, Nick Chubb catches all three of his targets for 20 yards. Continues to be an easy prop play every week. And Joku catches seven of eight, 59 yards. He has the touchdown, a great effort. He also made a nice play on a missed, enforcing a missed tackle to create some yards after catch, which he ended up with the most on the team with 36 this week. Uh, but he was also charted with one drop uh, as well. Harrison Bryant catches one target for eight yards in the left flat off play action. Uh, David Bell better, three catches, 27 yards, caught some stick routes, continues to be sort of that right outside the tackle box, catching you know those uh, cover three beaters. He does a nice job. He was good in this one again. Nothing. He had a chance to catch one on a sprint out concept on a third down right at the start of the second half, but Watson didn't throw it for some reason. He, he needed to throw that, but he got scared of it. Uh, because Bates, the safety, was driving down, but he had plenty of time. So there should have been another target to Bell. Cooper catches two for 42, uh, clearly slowed by the hip, which is um, taking away a lot of his fluidity and explosion. He caught one ball in a comeback that I was he made a guy miss, and I could just see he couldn't really click it into a top gear to start it up and run away from people. So he ends up on that play creating 10 yards of yak, but a healthy Amari Cooper would have been a lot more. The worst receiving grade was Kareem Hunt, who catches two of three for six yards, but he had a drop charted as well. And I should say Cooper did uh, Cooper did as well. Slot snaps, David Bell 27, and Joku 24 outside playing in the slot. Uh, he was in line for 25, so he's getting a pretty even split right there. He only played one snap out wide. 39 wide snaps for Cooper, 41 wide snaps for Peoples-Jones, 10 in the slot for Peoples-Jones, one of the higher numbers there. So moving him around a good bit. Uh, looking at rushing grades, uh, Deshaun had the highest rushing grade of the three who carried the ball significantly. He ends up going, uh, like I said earlier, three carries, 33 yards. Kareem Hunt goes four for six. He creates one missed tackle forced. He did not create any, obviously, 10-yard runs. He ran two gap and two zone. Uh, David, uh, sorry, Nick, Nick Chubb runs 14 times, 34 yards, probably his second worst game of the year outside of Buffalo. 54.6 grade. He had two rushes of 13 yards downfield. One was a draw. Another was an early, early game wide zone run where it felt like Cincinnati was slow playing it, expecting play action because the formation wasn't bunched aligned and uh, got got some some space to run. But that was the only one that created space to run. He had just that one run of 10 plus, three missed tackle forced. As long was a 13 yard rush and then the 11 yard draw. Yeah, I just there's no space. I'm not blaming Nick. I don't think Nick had a bad game or anything like that, but 
I mean, again, space is it's at a premium right now, so it's hard. It's hard. They need to figure out some counters to some of their tendencies in the run game because people are obviously they're they're feeling it out. They're really feeling it out. Uh, grades in the pass blocking phase: Jedrick Wills, Jack Conklin get your highest scores. They don't allow any pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. Betonio in eighty one point five allowed one hurry. Froholt a 63.6. He allowed a hit, a hurry, and a sack for three total. And then Wyatt Teller, I, I mean, I think he's hurt, but there's just a lot of bad habits popping up on tape. He had a hit and a hurry allowed and two pressures, but there were some blown blocks, and that's why his grade was low, where it was blown in a, ma- a matter that didn't end up resulting in a pressure, but he was beat. I mean, he was beat bad. He only grades at a 52.7 in pass protection in this one looking a bit more granularly the pass blocking grades uh true pass sets strong from wills conklin and betonio none of which uh sorry i take that back betonio did allow that one hurry in true pass sets down at the bottom of the group is teller or who allowed those two froholt who allowed his two including the sack they put the other sack on watson which i totally agree with that sack was on him for poor processing so I do agree with where Pro Football Focus took that one. But again, pass blocking was okay, fine, not great from Wyatt Teller, who struggled. The run blocking stuff, I mean, you didn't get very many quality grades from anybody. Betonio and uh, Teller get 57 and 53. Um, Wills with the 42.7. Jack Conklin with the 50.2. Froholt with the 45.7. And, and they're just... They're just not handling double teams well. They're not. They're not climbing to linebackers. They're not. The timing isn't clean. They're not getting any vertical push, like I said earlier. And I didn't think the wide receivers blocked all too well in this one either. And the grades reflected it. DPJ got a forty-one point two, and then Amari Cooper gets a fifty-four point two. Bell with a thirty-three point four. They're just not bought in to the run game stuff right now. And I'm. I'm very interested if you could get some truth serum into Kevin and Callahan about what's going on. I'm not I, I again you want to blame one person I get it but it's not one person right now it's somebody different on every play it's every play there's just somebody not doing their job and it has totally flipped since the bye and it is why this offense has gone from being a top 10 EPA to sliding out borderline top 15 and maybe even pushing down further so I think that the biggest thing they need to be fixing is how effectively they run the football but I don't know that that's just going to flip. I do have some thoughts, and I'll go into this after the season, about how the thought process and the scheme stuff is going to change for the O-line and how it feels like they're doing some of that on the fly. But this shouldn't be where they're at right now, especially considering Week 10 they played with Ethan Postage the whole game and Miami dominated them. And it's been others surrounding Postage who have been issues, not just him. So I know you want to blame Postage, and he hasn't been great, or sorry, uh, Froholt, but he, he hasn't been great, like I said, but but to, to give him all the blame, I don't think it's it's not fair. He's playing out of position. He's fighting. The guys around him just haven't been good enough. They just haven't been good enough, and you, know, you put up 10 points in this game, it's obvious that the team collectively on offense has not been good enough. But four games to keep figuring this thing out, four games to launch into who's going to be important for next year, still a lot on the line. They're not mathematically eliminated. They, they hopefully can put together a good performance at home because they need it. They really need it on that side of the ball. We're going to take our last break and then talk about defense real quick before we head out. So we will be right back. 
So just me personally, I thought the defense was fine overall, personnel-wise, performance-wise, except for one person, uh, maybe two that you could get after a little bit for performance. But I didn't have a huge issue with them. Now, they gave up some yards. Obviously, they gave up uh, over 100 rushing yards, largely late in the game when you could feel the game sort of slipping away and Browns didn't score a couple times. So they end up giving 136 net rushing yards, which is a downgrade from their last few weeks. But the run game wasn't hurting them in the early portions. They're actually defending it as well as I've seen them defend it uh, really since the Bengals were in Cleveland week eight. Uh, but the past stuff, 227, and, and it's not overwhelming. I mean, the Browns went for more, to, well, not more total yards, but right around the same. Uh, and again, it was, in, to, in my opinion, largely because of one thing. The Browns didn't have an answer for Jamar Chase, and, and that really frustrated me because in the second play of the game, Tyler Boyd leaves. You know, Miles Garrett hits this ridiculous Euro step move, gets pressure, Burrow forces it out quick. Tyler Boyd, I think, breaks his finger early they didn't play T Higgins so you had Trent Irwin playing a lot of snaps for them and another Trent I cannot remember the last name of the other Trent playing for them a couple white wide receivers uh, long hair kind of looking the same uh, Trent Taylor I think is is his name Trent Irwin and Trent Taylor number 11 uh, both of them were your feature guys and obviously they were down Hayden Hurst so they're playing Wilcox at tight end I wanted the Browns to be aggressive I wanted them to bracket Jamar Chase make him the only logical target that Burrow was comfortable with, make him so uncomfortable and make Burrow beat you with these other guys. But it was clear the Browns had no adjustment, no recourse to what their original game plan was for what if Boyd and Higgins were on the field. Now, Miles and Jadevian play a lot of snaps, 51-47, both play elite football. Both get six pressures. Miles gets two sacks, a hurry, a hit, six total pressures, and six hurries from Clowney, draws a couple flags, knocks the ball down that gets picked off. The best duo performance I've seen from them uh, since they've been in a Browns uniform. Maybe the Bears game last year, you could argue, was better, but they were really dominant. They gave the, the Bengals tackles and protection fits. Deion Jones played pretty well. Played 59 snaps, graded well in coverage, tackling. He had five stop tackles, sorry, three stop tackles, five total on the day. Taven Bryan, Perrion Winfrey did a good job, 33 and 35 snaps respectively. JOK, uh, your next highest guy, was okay. Some missed plays here and there. He had a missed tackle, but I thought he was better in coverage, had a couple stop tackles, good in run fits. Those guys played well, and it's nice to see an uptick from Taven and Perrion Obviously, creating pressures. One sack from Winfrey was wiped away, unfortunately, on a on a penalty. But you know, I I thought that they were good enough up there to get it done. Jordan Elliott, a bit uneven, some good, some bad. You know, the guys who didn't grade well, John Johnson down at a forty five point seven, including a coverage grade of forty eight point four. Ronnie Harrison, when he was out on the field, nineteen snaps, which is going to have to happen. Obviously, now with JOK's injury issue. He's going to have to be on the field a bit more because they just don't have a second linebacker that they're going to trust besides Deion Jones. They could play Tony Fields some, but they only played Fields in this game 11 snaps, so I think Harrison's going to see a lot of sort of those pass-down snaps. 19 snaps for him, 39.5. He has no feel for coverages and where receivers are going and passing off a route to take another route. He just gets exposed in underneath curl-flat coverage stuff and hook zone stuff way too often. Grant Delpit was sloppy in this one at a missed tackle. Coverage was a beat late. Obviously a big part of the flea flicker between him and Emerson not getting that covered down when it should have been covered down. Exchange there where Emerson should have covered deep. Uh, just not good enough and didn't cover well and didn't tackle well. 
He gets a 48.3 coverage grade, a 42.3 collective grade on the game. And then the biggest issue for me from a personnel standpoint, unfortunately, continues to be Denzel Ward. I mean, Jamar Chase had him on skates. He doesn't seem confident. There's something about him this year where I just don't see the same confident player. Twitched up, belief that he won't get beat, trusting his technique. He allowed five of ten targets to be caught in his direction for 63 yards, including a touchdown where I just can't fathom how he didn't have his head around to find the football. Even though he was getting safety help, he was right there squeezing the route. Chase broke him off a couple other times. And listen, I got problems with the scheme. That's fine. But they paid Denzel Ward so much money to be able to get down in the you You paid him to cover people like Jamar Chase and do it well. And there's like this fear of getting him down, playing man-to-man. And it could be Denzel. I don't know. But he's playing passively, slow, untrustworthy cornerback right now and it's a problem he's the lowest grade out there for guy that played meaningful snaps a 41.3 grade he had a 42.9 in coverage like I said he's playing hard I don't think he's like playing soft I just don't think he's trusting the technique something is off with him this is the worst year I've seen from him by far and it's hurting this defense, and I, I'd love to know why. And I think there's some tie-ins to scheme stuff here. And like I said, not having an answer for consistently bracketing Jamar Chase. Yeah, the Browns could have won without it, but, man, you could have made Burrow all kinds of uncomfortable if he didn't ch- target Jamar Chase 15 times in this game. Like 15 times Chase is targeted. That's an insane number to me. Denzel was involved in nine of those targets for five catches. Right, if you just look at Chase from the side of who he matched up with, obviously he gave you know Denzel a bunch of trouble, but then they were doing routes with putting him in the slot, and they moved him around well, but they put him in the slot where he exposed Greg Newsom for three catches on four targets, 34, and then John Johnson as well when they would roll down and play that cover three. The Browns were bringing the, the overhang defender off the edge a lot and it was driving me nuts. I don't know why they wanted to do that given how well Joe gets rid of the football Two catches for 22 for John against John Johnson. Two easy plays uh, in that one. And again, he's the only one that mattered in the passing game. That was it. That was it. And that's why I'm so frustrated they couldn't adjust on the fly. You know, when Burrow was under pressure, that's when he struggled a little bit. 5 of 11, 45 and a pick. They needed to find ways to take his first answer, Jamar, away from him. When he was blitzed, he was 3 for 4, 37 and a touchdown. Not surprising. They didn't blitz him much, but when they did, it was obvious and he took advantage of it. When he was kept clean, 13 of 22, 194, he has a 70.2 pass grade. Burrow was fine. I didn't think he was great, but they could have made him a whole hell of a lot more uncomfortable. And that that part of it was that part of it was frustrating to me. The two ends, Garrett and Clowney get the 90.5 pass rush grades. We've talked about that. Both guys above 90. It's great to see. Elliott gets a 73.6, including three pressures, a hit, two hurries. Taven Bryan, who I'm open to coming back next year in a, in a, in a capacity as a rotation guy, 71.7, as long as he's not playing a ton of snaps. Everybody else above 50, so respectable pass rush stuff here. The true pass sets, that's where you know uh, Clowney stood out, true pass sets where he got three pressures. Miles had a sack against true pass sets, so when both teams know pass is coming, he did a nice job. And then your next highest and most productive from a pass rush set where it was uh, Alex Wright. But I didn't think Alex Wright played well. It was actually kind of driving me nuts. He was aligned inside, which there's been a big shift to put 94 inside, especially pass downs. And he's he's collapsing into the A-gap 
and he was just being rowed down into the A-gap to create a wide-open void for Burrow to either throw in a wide-open passing lane as the edge rushes upfield or step outside and make a play in the uh, running the football. Burrow did that a couple times. He also stepped and slid out one time and ended up picking on the curl flat, deciding between do I go up and get Joe or do I sit back and play this little stick route behind me, and it ended up burning them down near the goal line. So I need 94 to be a little bit better with that. Right is being asked to do a lot of different things, so hopefully he can continue to get better. Uh, Garrett gets a 75.9 pass, or sorry, run defense grade, including two stop tackles to lead the group with those two. JOK also has two stop tackles. Winfrey gets a 75.1. Actually saw some stack and shed stuff from him, not being rowed away on double teams. I'm very encouraged by it. He had two total tackles in the run phase. Other guys who had a significant number of tackles, Deion Jones had three. Grant Delpit had two. Your higher grades, like I said, Taven Bryan, Greg Newsom, Deion Jones, JOK, the numbers at the bottom, Isaiah Thomas, Ward, Jordan Kunisic, and Alex Wright uh, end up being your, your worst grades and run defense a missed tackle from jordan elliott um sorry about that i, I gave jordan elliott a, a missed tackle he didn't earn grant delpit missed one ward missed one kunisic missed one and john johnson missed one kunisic's miss was particularly crushing because the browns had cut it to 17 uh 17 to 10 i'm um, sorry i think it was actually 13 10 they scored a touchdown or 13-16, I'm getting blurred with where it was in the game, but they needed to get a stop after they had just scored, and they end up uh, actually had made it 20-10, to trying to get the football back. Kunizic misses a tackle on pin-pull sweep, and Joe, uh, Joe Mixon gains about 30 yards down the sideline. The Bengals end up getting a field goal out of it, but those are the plays, man. Those are the plays. Uh, coverage grades, Deion Jones gets the best coverage grade, 2 of 5 in his direction. He had that pass breakup early in the game. He also had an interception Kunizic gets a good grade. I mean, the guys who are really in coverage a lot, JOK, Greg Newsom, 61-55. Emerson, a 53.7. He was only targeted in his direction. One catch on two targets, uh, only seven yards. Newsom allowed five catches for six uh, on six targets, 24 yards allowed. Uh, John Johnson, Grant Delpit in the 40s, both guys giving up some plays. Obviously, the touchdown on the flea flicker was credited to Emerson. Probably was, but they caught the Browns in the perfect rotation. Just tough. You got to play it. You got to be better, but that was right time, right trick play as it unfortunately stands out. And then Ward and Harrison, I've already talked about their issues. Special team-wise, highest grade, Demetric Felton, 90.3. Tay Davis played 11 total special snaps, 79.6. Mike Brown, 74.0, who they brought up. He's number 48. They brought up from the practice squad. Harrison Johnson, John Johnson, David Bell, Dearness Johnson, all of those guys are your best special teams grades. I thought the kicking was pretty good, continuing to put it in the end zone from Cade York, looking comfortable. And then uh, his PATs were strong. He, na- he nailed a field goal. He was good enough in this one, played winning football. And I thought Corey Bjorquez was pretty good, too, uh, in the punting phase. He grades out the 68 punt grade on four attempts, um, two of them inside the 20, a bomb, a couple bombs, his uh, Long was a 65-yarder that yielded a, a complete different change of field position. So Bjorquez with a couple strong weeks. He had a midseason lull a couple weeks there, but I thought he's been a lot, lot better uh, the, these past few weeks, and especially when they have needed him uh, to be better. So other things that are of note here, uh, the Browns played 39 nickel snaps, 11 base snaps, and 11 dime snaps. The Bengals are very predictable. They played just 12 snaps of their 
the Bengals ran 61 plays. Only 12 of those came out of 12 personnel. The rest were out of 11 personnel, so they continue to run a lot of 11. The Browns matched it in a variety of ways, continuing to try to solve run game by playing 11 snaps of base. There was an uptick in dime. They ran more middle-of-the-field open coverages. Again, quarters, seven snaps of quarters, 10 snaps of cover two, and 14 snaps of cover six. But again, the Bengals with cover six, and as they were trying to maybe do some bracketing of Jamar Chase, the Bengals were able to move Chase between different slot positions and put him in uh, positions that were hidden away from the bracketing, and the Browns didn't have an answer. The only eight coverage of uh, eight snaps of cover one's a bit disappointing to me. They give uh, the true media credited them with one bracket and one coverage snap of two man, but they didn't chase. Uh, ironically enough, they didn't chase Jamar Chase off the line. They didn't double team him. They didn't take away Burrow's best option. And again, they they played well enough to win, in my opinion, for the most part, well enough to win. The penalties were rough. The penalty on Denzel. I listen. That's that's a point we should close with here. Is like I didn't think the Browns were any more undisciplined in this game than they have been at other points in the year, but I just thought the flags for both sides were really, really ticky tack fouls, especially some of the holding calls that we saw in the first half that were changing the outcome of drives. Obviously, the biggest change by a flag was was earned as Tony Fields with the punt return. Sorry, the punt block roughing the kicker that gives the football back to Cincinnati to create a drive where the Browns end up getting a hands to the face penalty. They end up getting a um, a Denzel gets a 33 yard unnecessary pass interference call uh, holding down Chase's arm when he didn't need to. So listen, the flags were abundant and and I think a lot, not a lot. I, yeah, I would say 50% were unnecessary. The game was called very tight, but you know, and Tony Fields just his angle is terrible to block. It's not even close to blocking it, and he's angled right into the kicker. Anybody knows if you've played football, the idea is you take the football off the toe of the punter because that way, if you don't get it, you don't run into the punter, you don't land in him, and he has a safe space to land. Fields' angle is right up field, all his momentum running right into the chest of the punter and and drills him. And I get it, they're going after a block, they're trying to create a momentum play, but you can't have that. You cannot make that mistake. It crippled them, then you add in the drive penalties, and it was all of a sudden uh, a touchdown to make it 7-3 late in the second quarter. The Browns give it back, Bengals down the field, aided by a penalty, get down the field again, and then that Samaj P. Ryan score with 24 seconds left to put them up 13-3, and that just that swung everything. It swung everything, and then you know, midway through the third quarter after the Browns didn't get some first downs and create points, you hit them with a flea flicker, it's 20-3, to and that's pretty much all she wrote. So, uh, again, in this game, some positives, clearly some more negatives. There's four games to fix it. I'm honed in on how the relationship works at quarterback and, and play caller, how the defense, what personnel on the defense shows out to say this guy's improved going into next year or he cared that's the stuff I'm paying attention to. I pretty much have put my stance out there for a lot of key topics around coaching. I hope you uh, understand where I'm coming from. I try my best to understand where you're coming from. There's four games to evaluate a lot of stuff here, a lot of stuff. And hopefully it, these four games, which are all very winnable, yield some positive results. So we'll check in tomorrow with our usual visit with Jared Mueller. Until then, guys, thanks for stopping in. I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, we will do our 
three guests as we normally do and try to sprinkle in another guest before we get to the Ravens this weekend. There's a lot to determine with where the Ravens will be at that time. But again, thanks for stopping by. Check out Tuesday Chalk Talk. Check out uh, the written content at the OBR. There'll be plenty up. And then obviously swing by tomorrow to hear my podcast with Jared Mueller. Thanks for being here, guys. Have a great Tuesday. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.